straight out of Austin, Texas. It's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, Statesman Sports Columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first, On Second Thought. On Second Thought, episode 250, brought to you by Welcome.com, our good friends at Bud Light. Cedric Golden here with Kirk Bowles. And Duck, the boys of summer, getting it done this weekend in the spring. Texas baseball opens up against the Rice Owls, 6.30 p.m. at Dish Falk Field. And we are joined by the illustrious head coach of the Texas Longhorns, David Pierce. Coach, how are you today? Doing well, Cedric, Kurt, appreciate you guys having me. Everything's good, right on schedule, trying to finish up the week, get ready for a big Friday night opener. Well, it's exciting. Opening day is always fun. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's just opening day is different. Um, it's exciting. Um, uniforms are clean. The, the shoes are shined up. Uh, all the fans are excited and I think it's going to be above 35, too, so that's impressive. <laughs> Baseball weather at the dish in February, I tell you. Right. So do you get butterflies? I know players got to get the butterflies and get the adrenaline until that first pitch and first at bat. Do you get butterflies as a coach? I, I honestly do, and I, I do a lot throughout the season. Um, I, I just still kind of look at it as a player where my – my adrenaline starts going and, you know, I have my routine, like we have players with their routines and, you know, it's just something to game day. And if it were up to me, I'd play every single day. I love playing games. <laughs> I love it, man. And when you look at, you know, anyone who's played sports and when you know it's coming up, you start to get that little feeling and, and it never goes away. I'm in my fifties and, and, uh, you know, even when there's a good uh, game that we're covering, that's a big game. You just feel you feel that little buzz and there's nothing yeah. like it in sports. Were your long 50 and 17 last season? Uh, one went away from the College World Series finals. And uh, the OG Argie Garrido always said to win in a tournament situation, got to have pitching and you guys have the pitching. Um, I had a question for you. I know. Tristan Stevens, Pete Anson, Tanner Witt. That's that's a, that's a great threesome. But Augie always said you need that fourth guy. Uh, is Lucas Gordon that guy? And who else is going to be battling him for that fourth position? Yeah, I think uh, Augie has some wisdom for sure, and and there's a lot of merit to everything you're saying. You know, I I would start with first of all, just because you got three guys that have some experience. You don't just plug in a Friday night guy and go next guy up. I mean, you're replacing a guy like Ty Madden. And I think sometimes we get very comfortable thinking, well, just the next guy is going to step in the Friday night role. And I think there's some maturity and some learning, a learning curve with that. Um, So uh, I'm excited for Pete and Tristan and and Witty. But, yeah, I think Lucas is in a good spot getting Andre Duplantier back, Travis Daly back, could play a bridge role to start with. We come back with uh, a Tuesday and Wednesday on the road. So you don't want to really get too far ahead, but I would definitely say that Lucas is in that spot, and he's a good one. And he's he's pitching well right now. So 
just needs to carry that over. You know, David, historically under Gus and Augie, they've always had that dominant big right-hander on Friday night, you know, a guy that other than maybe a Greg Swindell throwing from the left side, but you know, they got the guy that come in and I always wondered when Greg Swindell took the mound, I go, I always wondered if it's going to be a one hitter, a two hitter, a three hitter, what's it going to be? And he's going to strike out 11 or 14. And yeah. And, and Hanson's a little bit different. Uh, he's not in that same mold, a terrific pitcher, versatile, you know, change arm slots and, you know, get ground balls. And, uh, but he doesn't fit that mold of that big right hander, does he? Like, like a Ty Madden. No, I think when you, when you look at that, kind of background of the history of Texas. I know exactly what you're saying. You would say Witty Hanson Stevens, right? that order. And I'm not saying that that's not a bad order. I think all three of them are very interchangeable. Uh, I think all three of them could be Friday uh, or move to Sunday. And this is how we're going to start it. But, you know, the, the one thing that you get out of Pete in his history and you get out of Tristan in his history is – both of them eat up innings and they're very good at keeping you in the game and knowing what you're going to get. And I think Witty is still trying to get to that point of managing pitch counts and getting deeper into games. And so that's probably the biggest reasoning going into it of getting him settled into a weekend type starter of getting extended, which he hasn't done at this level really. Um, his best outing or our deepest uh, outing was Tennessee and Omaha. I think he went one right. two thirds or five and two thirds and yeah. huge for us. So we've kind of built off of that. When you look at uh, Lucas Gordon, you mentioned him a 332 ERA. He started one game, appeared in 19. Um, is he – you know, I, I know everything's fluid, but is he your long reliever? Um, you know, once once these games get really pivotal, Big Twelve play is that is that his thing, or uh, how, how do you handle that? Because I, I would assume he's your Tuesday Wednesday guy starting out. Yeah, I mean, we've got an interesting bullpen because we have Plantier and Staley. We feel like are those types of guys that are going to come in with three good pitches that could potentially be starters. So to me, you look at both those guys as swing guys. Mm-hmm. So how do you want to u- utilize those? Um, when you look at a Friday night, you kind of like one of them following the left-hander Hanson. Saturday is a good chance we may do the same thing with Gordon following Stevens and uh, that extension as we're building pitch counts early in the year and then move to Tuesday with um, a freshman, possibly in Stewart or a whitehead. But we have uh, some other interesting pieces where uh, big arms, short outings, Southern Blair, uh, Morehouse. These guys are still a little unproven, but they've got big electric arms. So, we want to see how they're going to fit in there. If it's, uh, you know, you kind of lay it out of how you hope it works and then your options to go from there. Um, and so that's kind of how you utilize those short inning guys. Get them in there, get them some confidence, have success, maybe extend them a little bit more the next time. 
And I think that's what you see with the Josh Stewart kid. Um, probably the the best on paper coming in as a freshman, um, but still young, still hasn't pitched at this level. So we want to be able to get him in there, have success, and then build off of that. You know, David, you look at your lineup and uh, a lot of people are going to be jealous of you starting this season. You <laughs> seem like you just set everywhere, but first and third base, you know, you got one of the, the best catchers in the country and Silas Ardoin and a great double play combo and Trey Faltini and Daly. But the corners are very important, as you know, very important positions. And you got Ivan Melendez trying to replace Zach Zubia, who was just amazing defensively. He could pick it over there, yeah. He could really pick it. He, he, that was about as impressive a transformation into a really outstanding first base as I've ever seen. Uh, what's your confidence level in Ivan, you know, replacing Zach at first base, David? Well, I think I'm glad you brought that up because I love to talk about defense and which starts in the middle of the field. And so you look at Silas, the two guys in the middle with Trey and Mitch, you move Hodo to center. Um, Hodo's got the potential to be as good as a lot of center fielders that have come through here and maybe be second or third to guys like Drew Stubb. He is really good. If you look at alignment last year, it worked better with Hodo and Tico Kennedy, but I, I really think that if, if if it was a competition between Hodo and Antico, I, I could see Hodo winning that job just outright. But the way our alignment worked was much better last year. So I'm really comfortable in the middle of the field. You know, we used to say with Zuby as a DH and, you know, never really thought he was going to be a defensive first baseman. And he committed to it. And then we started saying, that's a great play for Zubia. And then we started saying, that's a great play, you know? And so I, I think there's no doubt that Ivan Melendez can step in that role. Athletically, his hands work. He can pick it. His foot, foot speed is plenty good to play first base. And he's got a good arm. His biggest thing is playing the games right now because he needs that ball to his right, do I go for it or do I go to the base? Do I know exactly what to do on a coverage? Do I know where my alignment should be and how I react from that spot? So I think the end game of just playing the position is the thing that we're going to have to grow with much more than the skill set. Well, you know, um, Ivan Melendez uh, called very, very uh, admirably by by the legends Keith Moreland and Greg Swindell on LHN, Mr. Melendez, after those prodigious clouts he hit last year, 13 homers, 51 ribbies in 59 games. Um, what was your surprise level when he came back? Because I, I know he was kind of a hot prospect and he could have left. Well, we went into that draft hoping that we get Pete, Ivan, and Cole Kentania back. And we didn't think we were getting Tristan Stevens back. When we got Pete and Ivan, and then we got Tristan, you know, you never look at it as a trade-off, but pretty good piece to keep with uh, Tristan Stevens. Ivan, I think his stock definitely goes way up if he can play every day. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a piece of it. Not too many people, even though, even though you're a hitter, you're not getting a lot of money as a DH. And so... I think that has a piece of it. I think he wants to 
have a chance to compete again here with uh, an opportunity to play deep in the postseason. So the surprise piece of it is I wasn't really surprised. I was thankful that Ivan didn't become gullible and just accept what they were going to offer and invested in himself to say, I'm going to be great here and then I'm going to have better options. So uh, he showed some real maturity there. Really did some, and we talked about third base. Uh, you got a guy over there from tran- transfer from Kansas, Skyler Messenger, uh, shortstop, third baseman kind of guy. Uh, how's he looking in uh, squad games? And uh, you think he can take hold of that position? Yeah, I mean, he's played in the Big Twelve for four years. I really believe he's been KU's best player the last three years, mm-hmm. and. Um, Really good with the glove, really good on first step and playing that position. Um, I think we may see a little more power from him than he has shown in the past. Right. And that's just a little bit of a, a, a swing plane adjustment. Um, but he's all in. And he and, and Murph Staley have competed day one for that job. I think you'll, you'll see both of them playing quite a bit. But – you know, Friday night, I believe we'll start with Skyler, and he's fit in. He's doing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the key for him, same with Antico last year, you know, he's coming from a program into a big environment. Don't make it bigger than it is. Just go out there and play. Don't put pressure on yourself to feel like you have to be successful game one as far as being so productive. Just go play baseball. Mm-hmm relax and, and, and feel comfortable and, and play in the game because he's really good. And, you know, pressure is a crazy thing. And so he just needs to relax and trust himself and go play. And he has no problem putting the work in. So he'll be fine. Bring, uh, speaking of pressure, um, I love when a coach embraces expectations. And, and you guys are running from the expectations that, that the Texas Longhorns supposed to finish up this season coming up. In Omaha, you're number one overall and came within one win of playing for it all last season. Uh, how does that experience help? And uh, you you were in that dugout. You saw the hurt in those eyes. You saw the hurt looking back at you in the mirror. How does those experiences help galvanize what you're trying to do coming up in 2022? I'm going to back up just a little bit because when we came in, we know how great this program's been, but we absorbed a, a program that was 24 and 31. And it was down, uh, just quite frankly. And so the vision has been to recruit and to develop and to get to this point. There was never any wavering from that. And Love so it. when we talk about process with a player, the day-to-day, the process versus the result, We've been going through that for the last five and a half years of the process to get to this point. So there's no more expectations that anybody can tell us what we need to do or how we should be doing things. We've gone through it. And now you get pretty close to the pinnacle. How are you going to respond? Do you look at that as, hey, we were pretty good. All we got to do is go out and do the the same things we did. Well, that's not going to work. So what we have to do is put our head down and understand that we got to get a, a little bit better and 1% better in all of our areas. If that's me, if that's uh, 
how we're teaching something, if that's how we're preparing, if that's how we're going through our throwing and our uh, uh, pre and post uh, uh, throwing procedures, all of that is brought into a part of the process. And so this is a continuation of where we expect it to be. And so all we're going to do is go out there, try to play one at a time, uh, and really enjoy that process of the continuation of this process and see what happens. Yeah. I love the confidence. I mean, and, and you don't waver and you and your, you got a terrific staff, obviously that that has been with you for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, we go back to last year when you started 0-3 up in Arlington and played three great teams, didn't come out the way you wanted, but there was no panic. And uh, I don't know, that was just so impressive, I think, the way you all just kind of never wavered, as you said, and just uh, embraced the expectations. Got better a little bit every day, day by day, and we're so close well, to winning the ball. Every year, no matter what your projection is from – what a poll says or what media or fan base says, every year you're going through some periods of adversity. Every year you're going to right. deal with an injury you didn't expect. Uh, on the road where something happens that just was unexpected that you couldn't control. And so how we handle all that from a staff to every player is critical. I mean, we had two major rain delays in, in, yeah. in Omaha. Oh, that affected us a lot more than we admitted and, and even discussed. But those were grueling. But we haven't gone there and, and really talked about how grueling they were. We just understand it's part of it. And so we've built them and they have built each other in that clubhouse as we can handle anything. And we're going to have adversity. I mean, there's nothing guaranteed. Nothing. Opening weekend is not guaranteed of anything other than opportunity to go play. Mm -hmm. Well, like you said, you went back to the hotel and uh, and uh, you found your wife crying after the last game to Mississippi State. And uh, tell tell our listeners what you told her. Well, I mean, there's a lot of emotion, right? And right. people are pulling hard for you. And <clears throat> my wife has been in the middle of this with me and with our team and with our our staff and you know we got beat we got eliminated and we're disappointed because we're not continuing but we're not we have no real regrets there's nothing to be regrettable about right I came in the room and, and she's bawling in the bed i'm like <laughs> why are you crying she goes because well, i wanted y'all to win i'm like well we all did but <laughs> it's just part of the emotions the emotional side of how everyone gets attached and they want to see the best for your guys. And I was really proud of our guys and really proud of our entire group, our staff and our support staff. But, you know, it's baseball too. And it's not easy to win the last game. You know what? And when you went to bed that night, you looked up to the heavens and you thank God for sending you the right woman. That's ride or die stuff right there, David. That is ride or die. When the when the when the, the little woman feels it, then you know you're with the right woman. That's just how that is. I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, I love this uh, schedule. Uh, you start out with Rice, and we know their history um, uh, in Omaha and um, Alabama. Texas finally gets a chance to beat Alabama in something that'll be fun. 
uh, next weekend. But the uh, the Shriners Hospitals for Children's Classic in Houston uh, is interesting with Tennessee, LSU, and UCLA. Neither one of those programs is any stranger to Omaha. How important was you to was it for you to put those tough, tough games on the slate before Big Twelve to see what you're looking at with your team? I just, I mean, we're we're gonna play a level of baseball in the Big Twelve, and uh, you can't be surprised. You have to know what to expect, and you know, if you put a real passive schedule together, <clears throat> I don't think you're prepared for our league, and so it's difficult. We play, I think, three out of the five non-conference at home. Uh, there's always a balance and a strategy to it. Um, but Minute Maid and Globe Life, we're, right now we're in the alternating years. Uh, Minute Maid is the third week every year. So the even numbers or the even years we go there, the odd years we're going to Globe Life, which will open up there in 23 again. But and then we returned the trip to South Carolina. And it's the first time since I've been here we've had a chance to actually have a spring break on the road. So I think we might build some chemistry, might build some uh, uh, camaraderie on that trip. So we'll stay there, play two midweek games at College of Charleston in the Citadel, and then come back on Thursday with the Incarnate Word going into Texas Tech. Go to South Texas twice, uh, playing three games down there. So a little travel in there that gives us some balance. March is tough. It's grueling. Uh, but the back end, we kind of prepared. We'll, we play a lot of games April, May back home. Yeah, I remember those spring break days with Gus. He played – he only played double hitters all seven days during spring break. You know, it counted as one game. <laughs> so we kind of lived – Those up. are the greatest. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's crazy. We're, there were no rules back then. <laughs> I mean, nope. we can do whatever. And, exactly. And, and if you love baseball, that's what you did, and Coach Gus did. Yeah, he did. One last thing before I will let you go is uh, we haven't really talked about Trey Faltini yet. You're your great shortstop. It's his draft year, and he's really come into his own. And you talked about how he came in as a freshman, started every game at the premier position other than on the mound. So, What's your expectations of him as the kind of the face of this team, you know, going into his uh, third year? So much credit to Trey um, and, and Tulo in that area, really, because you've got a former big leaguer that was an all-star that has a pupil here that really was a raw talent. And, and when I mean that, I mean Trey didn't throw well on the run. He didn't understand arm angles. He didn't understand throwing across his body. He didn't understand really the footwork on the pivot. So, so many things that he had to learn, but his athleticism kicked in. But he's very, very competitive and he has a lot of pride. And because of those two things is the re reason why he's where he is right now. Um, he is the face and he's the face of that defense. He's the captain, uh, he's verbal. Um, he's, he, he's demanding and I love that about him. You need that in the middle of your field and you put Silas behind the plate, Trey in the middle. There's some great leadership right there. So I, I think for Trey, he's got a good swing. He can hit, 
you just got to quit worrying about hitting. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's like, is he going to hit? I think he's going to be just fine. Um, to me, it's a lot of uh, uh, pitch selection, plate discipline that will make him a better hitter as well. So doing well, pumped to have him back. What's his upside offensively? I know he hit 249 last year. What's his upside? How many doubles you got on him, Cedric? Because um, he can drive the ball in the gaps. 19, 19 doubles. Exactly. Five homers. So, so he's got some power. I think what he has to do is hit right, gap to gap. And if he does that, he's going to run into some balls and drop some balls out of the park. Mm-hmm. Um, on the average side, uh, I, I think he has a, a higher ceiling than what he's shown. But I like the fact that he can be productive. If you look at our production piece that we look at a lot is our 40-40 guys, mm-hmm. RBIs, and, and run scored. I mean, he's over on uh, run scored and right at it on RBIs, even though he hit 249. So if you just look at those two numbers across the board, he was actually very productive. Mm-hmm. Now, he can be much more productive if he can just cut down the strikeout. Mm-hmm. But cutting down the strikeout, I think, is going to be about pitch selection. That makes sense. And that's maturity and that bats under his belt, too. Well, Andy's got two loads of glove, too. So is there some outs <laughs> in that glove, I think, still? It's got Velcro in it. <laughs> it seems like it. So, well, David, this has been great visiting with you, man. We are so pumped. I'm just, I'm a hardball guy, and I just love this time of year. And uh, we'll yeah. be off this weekend, hopefully, uh, pick up a game and see you uh, uh, live or on TV. But uh, we really appreciate you being with us. And uh, boy, best of luck this season. All right. I appreciate you guys. Appreciate the support. And uh, it's it, it, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. <laughs> it we found indeed. that out, right? Yes, All right, sir. Let me see you guys. Thank Take you, care, David. David. Bye. So long. Bye-bye. On Second Thought. Duck, always good to chop it up with our guy, David Pierce. Uh Baseball starting, but another sport just ended. The Super Bowl is over. It was better than I thought it'd be, closer than we thought it would be. But the Los Angeles Rams emerged 23-20 over the Cincinnati Bengals. And the big debate now at the water cooler, does that put Matt Stafford over the hump and get him a gold jacket? I'm I'm sorry. I don't see that. I don't see it either. And I think uh, we all get caught up in the moment and I'm guilty of that as, as anybody, but he just, I never thought of him as a hall of famer before. I think he's a really good, solid NFL quarterback and one Super Bowl doesn't get you in the, in the hall of fame. Does it? That's you got to well, do more than that. And he was never thought of as well. He's one of the three or four or five best quarterbacks in the league this, in any point in time much less three years five years eight years so he, he quiet he quietly plied his trade while others like roethlisberger yeah. and brady and peyton manning and eli manning and philip rivers all were better than oh. him and sure. i i look at it uh the biggest factor in his career that that might get him there because he got the big trophy right one Pro Bowl, uh, he had Calvin Johnson for his prime. He had a Hall of Fame receiver. That helped. 
But you didn't win. You didn't well, win. He didn't. And and you just mentioned it. Calvin Johnson's a Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, Barry yeah. Sanders, Barry Sanders, Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they played for the Detroit Lions. Okay. So but they were the they were the unquestioned yeah. best players for for teams. And uh Barry Sanders played for playoff teams in Detroit. Right. He, he, he made, he, them. He made and, them playoff teams. He made them playoff teams in Detroit. He was the central figure. And they were no joke with Calvin Johnson, but uh Stafford, I just thought, you know, uh one Pro Bowl, never an all pro, 41 touchdowns, led the league with 17 picks this yes, season. So yes. it's not like he was just just uh you know great. He was good. He was a volume thrower of the football. You look at his career stats, 49,995 yards. That's 12th all-time, Duck. That's, that's, that's a longevity stat. That's a longevity stat. 323 TDs, 161 interceptions. That's a two-to-one ratio. The great ones are better than that. Um, 86-95 as a starter. That was a – that's, you know, that's being a Detroit Lion for your whole career. So – uh, only twice before this season had he ever thrown 30 touchdowns in a season. So I I would say I just don't see it, Doug. I don't see him as a Hall of Famer. I, I read somewhere where he's led the league in pick sixes four different times. And uh and and we can't just dismiss why he played for Detroit because so did Calvin Johnson, so did Barry Sanders, and they are Hall of Famers. And yes, they're different positions. I understand that, but you can't just well, you need to uh, grade on the curve because he played for the Lions for 12 years and was 0-3 was in the playoffs. And, yes. and that's on him, too. You're the quarterback. That's on you. They so, put the, the quarterback has uh, to take those stats. I was looking at uh, looking at the quarterback for the all-time passing yards, and you, know, you got your Tom Brady and Drew Brees up at the top, both legitimate Hall of Famers. You know, won Super Bowls, and you know they're in the the sixty thousand yards. Uh, but guess who's also on the list? Uh, guess who's number eight in all time passing yards? And I want to ask you: Is Matt Ryan a Hall of Fame quarterback? I would take Matt Ryan uh, every day and twice on Sunday over Matt Stafford. I just would. But he'd be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Matt, Matt Ryan has an MVP on, 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 his, on his mantle. And Matt Ryan's been all pro on his mantle. And Matt Ryan uh, led the Falcons to the playoffs several times. Uh, they, they were good under Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is the probably the best offensive player who ever played for the Atlanta Falcons. He's better than Steve Bartkowski was. Hey, Tommy um, Novus, Tommy Novus, don't forget uh, him. Who's I said, not I said, I said offense. I said offensive. Okay. I said offensive because I wanted to give respect to Tommy yeah. Novus and I wanted to give respect to Deion Sanders. Yeah. But um, I, I think that Matt Ryan is a Hall of Famer much okay. more than I do uh, Matthew Stafford, for sure. Well, if he'd have beaten the Patriots 28 to 3, in the then he's a no brainer. Then he's a no brainer. And you and I were both there to see that. You, you really felt for that guy. And you know, it was Kyle Shanahan's fault they didn't win that. Absolutely, but absolutely. Not running the ball and, you know, that sack fumble and, oh, it was just uh, – You had oh a chance God. to be up with 11 by yes. 11 with two minutes to go in the Patriots with one timeout. Yeah, you win that game. Over. You win that game. Kick the field goal. Quit yeah. throwing it. Quit throwing it. It's but not he's, Madden. 
He's at 59,735. He's eighth in the all-time uh, NFL career passing list. Right behind him is Eli Manning. Eli getting in because of the Super Bowls. Yeah, he has two along with 57,000. And that's where I go with Matt Stafford. You almost have to win a second or at least get to a, another Super Bowl, I think, before he merits serious uh, consideration. Uh, Philip Rivers is right there on that list. He's got 63,000, you know, 4,000 more than Matt Ryan. Is you Philip know, Rivers Phil- Hall of Famer? He's Charles Barkley. He's, he, yeah, just had, he, he just happened to play in the same era with, with Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he's just a big bid. He just happened to come along at a time when when there were other great quarterbacks. So uh, I think I'll take Philip Rivers over Matt Stafford. I would. And, and definitely Big Ben. Since he's of course. Got two, of and he's course. got 64,000 yards. So uh, it's interesting, though. You look at uh, below that, Aaron Rodgers sitting at 10th. 55,000, but he's what, four-time MVP now? Three or four, yeah. Yeah, he'll be first ballot. Elway is there with 50,000. You know, you had a couple underneath them in the teens uh, beyond the top 10. Carson Palmer, 46,000 yards. No. Nope. Verde, 46,000 yards. No. Nope. No, and that's kind of where I put Matt Stafford, even though, you know, he has the Super Bowl ring. And, you know what, Trent Dilfer and Brad Johnson – yeah. Have Super Bowl rings. Mark Rippon has a Super Bowl ring. Doug Williams has a Super Bowl ring. Yeah. Um, uh, Mark Wilson has a Super Bowl ring. Jeff Hotstetler, or is it Jeff Hotstetler? Was that his name? Yeah, with the Giants. Was yeah, it there's Jeff? Gotta, there's yeah. There's got to be more criteria than just a Super Bowl ring for a quarterback. I think you got to have sustained excellence. To me, that's kind of what it is, and that's why. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, you know, they're no-brainers. Uh, sustained excellence, and Matt Stafford just doesn't meet that bar, I don't think. He doesn't. It, it was a good game, though. I enjoyed it. You know, it was both closer. We, we both picked the Rams to win. Uh, I, I thought think the Rams got a little too involved at the end. Yeah, I they did. did. They did. But, you know, most of those were pretty good calls, that one ticky-tack Defensive holding was mega huge because that would have led to fourth and eighth. And then the whole ball game changes when you have fourth down versus first down. You know, the pressure just ratchets up. So, I don't know. How do you feel about, well, it evens out. You know, T. Higgins had offensive pass interference, 75-yard touchdown. It wasn't called. So, do you that was subscribe brutal. to that theory? Oh, it all evens out. I don't. It, I don't because minute and a half, minute. Yeah, five, that's different. Yeah, tell 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 that tell that to the tell that to the Bengals. It all evens out. I don't know. Yeah, right. I don't uh, know. You want the refs to be at their best. I think Torbert Torbert and his crew did a good job, but um, I didn't like the holding call yeah, on I the goal line. Um, uh, he didn't have him wrapped up. He didn't twist him. So I don't know. But the T Higgins, when they need to bring that rule back, where you could challenge for pass interference. They would have called that back. You remember they had pass interference challenges reviews for, for one year. year. And, and why did what and they why it, slowed, it slowed the games down. They thought they thought it slowed the huh. games down. And pass interference is such a tough call. But I'm but I really believe Doug, they would have reversed that call. T. Higgins maybe, grabbed his face mask and twisted it. I don't know. Maybe have an extra 
challenge just for one offensive pass interference call. I know the Saints would probably vote for that that rule. So uh, the Rams seem to benefit more than uh, anybody from these these calls or non calls. Uh, I'm a Cooper Cup guy moving forward. I love him. I just freaking love him. He blocks. Um, He runs the best routes of anyone in the league. They showed a couple of routes where guys just fell down trying to keep up with him because he's got this herky-jerky body language. And he and Stafford had great chemistry. Great chemistry. That may have been one of the greatest passes in the history of the Super Bowl, that no-look third-down pass where where he never looked at Cup and he just waited to the last second for Von Bell to commit to where he was looking, and then he flicked it. I mean, that was a Hall of Fame pass by a quarterback who shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Couple questions moving forward. Uh, Joe Burrow said, "Well, I'm looking forward, uh, hopefully, get many more chances just like this." Do you think he will? Is he a a one time wonder? He's a talent. Don't get me wrong, but do you see the Bengals being a perennial Super Bowl contender during this Joe Burrow uh, era we're talking at? Shoot, no, come on, Doc. Yeah. Look at the AFC: Patrick Mahomes, okay, Joe Burrow. Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, yeah, uh, Mac Jones. Even though he's not in that ear, but you're uh, Tannehill. There's yeah. a the AFC is a is a a minefield, and 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 let's we forget my favorite quarterback of all time, Danny Marino, got to the Super Bowl in his second season and never made it back. Matt Ryan. Was at the controls of those of those high powered Falcons. They yeah. never made it back. Once you get there, if you don't take advantage, there are no guarantees, Doug, yeah, that no you guarantee. get back. And so, if you're asking me if the Bengals make it back to a Super Bowl, uh, yeah. I would right now. I would say no. Yeah, I, I would say they've got a real good chance next year because their players are signed and young. When you look at Burrow and you look at Jamar Chase and and, and some of their players, they got, you know, Boyd and, you know, they've got a really good nucleus. That defensive line is good. They need help offensive line. That's obvious. They need help in the secondary. But I don't – but, you know, they historically don't spend money. So will they spend money to improve? Uh, but well, I, Michael I would say, Irvin said that on ESPN the other day. Yeah. Well, Mike Brown, you, got, you have to cut yeah. checks. You have a chance to get back. Yeah, improve that offensive line. Bring it. Bring in a Rodney Hudson type to help solidify that thing. But it's not their history, Doug. They don't like spending. But wouldn't you think that you like their chances, even though they're in the stacked AFC? Look at the Rams. You know, I mean, Von Miller probably won't be back. Uh, OBJ probably won't be back. Uh, who knows? Donald retires. I don't think he'll retire. But uh, nah. I don't know. You know, they, they have to pay the piper because they built this team to win now and deserve credit for that. And here you go. They took advantage. They made the moves. Yeah. They brought in Von Miller. They brought in OBJ. They brought in Matt Stafford. They brought in the pieces they needed. They were never going to win a Super Bowl with Jared Goff. Yeah. They were never going to win a Super Bowl with Jared Goff. So they brought in Jalen Ramsey. They brought in the right guys. Hell, they signed Eric Whittle off the streets. And he yeah. had a big game in the Super right. Bowl. Right. Had a couple of nice tackles. So they made the moves. They were all in for this season. And so yeah. if they want to go back to being cheap 
history history tells us they're the Super Bowl champs, and the fans are going to demand that they get back. But even if they go ten and ten and seven next year and don't make it, the fans are going to go. We still want a Super Bowl. That's forever, Doug. That's forever. Do you think it, it's a copycat league? That's what pro sports is. Do you think you could see other teams trying to load up and just make that one one run? Uh, and any teams that come to mind that are that are right there on the precipice, you know, like a like a Buffalo, which is already built for the future, but the Cowboys or I don't know. Are there any other teams that you could see? I know the I know the Packers would love to do that. You know, if I'm the I don't know. What do you do? If you're the general manager and uh, uh, Matt LaFleur, what do you tell Aaron Rodgers? Because they have salary cap problems with they can't really pay Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and then go out and get a Von Miller or an Odell Beckham Jr., can they? I would I would I would try and pay Devontae Adams. I, I mean, yeah. without Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, what are we talking about here? But even We're that talking. wasn't good enough this year. Yeah. And we found out that if you put two people on Devontae Adams, the Packers just aren't very good. Right. We found that out last year. It's the same thing. So if I'm Aaron Rodgers, man, I would, I mean, I would really look very seriously. I would look at going to the Steelers or the 49ers. He's from from Northern California. And see, play college ball at Berkeley. Don't go to Pittsburgh. We just spent 10 minutes talking about how loaded the AFC is. Go to the NFC, you know, go to San Francisco. Go home. Where, you know, hell, go to Arizona. If, if Kyler Murray's, you know, is if that uh, is an untenable situation, go to they'll, Arizona. They'll fix that. They'll fix that with Kyler. He's yeah. young. Get off and quit but scrubbing see, your Instagram page. That's so eighth grade. Come on, Kyler. You're a pro no. now. You're no. a pro now. Don't do that. Don't do that. Cliff Kingsbury in the last year of his contract, and I don't know. You have any faith in Cliff Kingsbury? I never have as a pro coach. I just haven't. We're gonna win yeah. at Tech. What makes you think you win in Arizona? Exactly. But uh, if I'm if I'm Rodgers, boy, you know, if I couldn't get it done with being healthy and having an MVP year with Devontae Adams, and we love Aaron Jones as a running back, but uh, you don't get know. the ball enough. Yeah. I don't know if you know if you're thinking. Uh, I need to just stay in the NFC and go to some place like a San Francisco or Seattle, even if uh, Russell Wilson leaves. So I'm 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 like you. If Russell Wilson leaves, I don't see Aaron Rodgers in Seattle, but I do see him. San Francisco is so close. They yeah. need one. They need they need a marquee quarterback, which right. would be Rodgers, and and maybe one more. Good receiver. Another good because, receiver. Because you know, Iuke is decent. But they have uh, and Debo and Debo's a beast, but they need that third guy. They need yeah. that third guy because Iuke is too up and down. Debo Samuel is is a beast. We love I love Debo. And but they if they could get Kittle, another guy. They got Kittle and Jawan Jennings really came on. I think I really like him. So what if Aaron Rodgers says, Hey Devontae, you ever been to San Francisco? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I don't know what their salary cap space is like, but well, if you could land those two, wow, they'd be the Super Bowl favorite. I think. I think they would be. I think they would be in the NFC, especially. So, and I don't know. You kept hearing Denver. You know, as offensive coordinator, you know, went to the Broncos. I don't know if. uh, I don't think the Broncos are that close, though. Do you? No, I don't. Uh, Those receivers. Cortland Sutton and uh, who's the other Jerry Judy from Alabama. 
Mm-hmm. Those guys are good, but they've been injury prone, and neither one of them has been has been as productive as anyone would have thought when they mm-hmm. came out of the draft. Um, not great running game, defense up and down. Um, I wouldn't go to Denver. Yeah. And once again, AFC, they're way down in the AFC pecking mm-hmm. order. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think I think San Francisco makes a lot of sense for Aaron Rodgers. But the pundits I've been reading, they all think that he's going to stay. It'd be yeah. hard to leave after like 15 years in one yeah. spot. You know what you got. and But if he stays, I imagine Devontae stays or they're getting some other big, big-time receiver, you know. Uh, Indianapolis Colts is another one kind of sitting out there with a great running back and Jonathan Taylor, strong offensive line and a good defense. So, and they're moving on from Wentz, I suspect. Oh, I do too. And you play indoors, you know, half your games or more. So I don't know. I think, you know, if I'm Russell Wilson, that may be where I'd want to go with Indianapolis, you know, where, uh, man, he just taking a beating, you know, not unlike uh, Joe Burrow did in Cincinnati. If I'm, if I'm the Bengals, I take like three offensive linemen in the draft <laughs> or, or uh, free agency or heck the transfer portal, go to college and get a transfer portal guy even. So, but yeah, he needs some help uh, with his offensive line. So, and to put a bow on it, wasn't this maybe the greatest NFL postseason ever? I don't there's know. No, what there's that. no, there's no maybe to it. There's no yeah, maybe. It wasn't to the it. most spectacular, memorable Super Bowl, but it was good. Every, every game. Every, every game after the wild card round. Yeah. yeah, after the wild card game, every game was great. Yes, fantastic. Edge of your seat. I miss it already. It is, yeah. you know, I'm an NFL guy, and uh, we're both football guys, and we just, yeah, we 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 love we love watching and 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 being, you know, getting ready, being able to discuss these great games, these great players, and it is a long wait. But while we're waiting. We got a, we got hoops. We do have hoops. Um, they don't really play uh, hoops in the in our state and the NBA anymore. The Spurs are bad. Right. The Rockets are bad. The Mavericks are good. Yep. Luca's gotten in shape. Yeah. Uh, the Mavs are good. But they're, are, we got college guys and your Texas Longhorns get a chance for some payback on Saturday. When the Texas Tech Red Raiders come into Club Irwin for the final time in the history of that great facility, the Horns survived in Norman. Gritty, gutty performance to get it done. It's all about winning. Style points don't matter, Doug. Winning is hard on the road in the Big 12, and they got to win. And your Horns are 8-5 in the Big 12. Right now, fourth place. Yeah, Not bad. They're poised to make a move. And you're playing Texas Tech, as you just mentioned, one spot ahead of them at eight and four. So you can leapfrog them uh, by beating them Saturday. And how bad do you think Chris Beard wants to win this game? I'm telling you. Oh, it's just another game, Kirk. It's just another game. Just another game on the schedule. That's what that's what he'll say. I don't believe that for a second. But you know, I I remember us talking, you, me, and Brian uh, uh oh, a couple weeks ago, and I was saying you know, I think they might go uh what nine and nine or maybe ten and seven. You guys were scoffing a little bit, you remember? And, I got him. Uh, I got him at, at, at ten and seven. I got him oh, at ten. Oh, no, you had him at no. Nine. Wait, no, 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 no. I had him at ten and eight. I had him at ten. Well, how many uh, did they play? Well, you had him at nine and nine. You and Brian both were down. I didn't. I had him at ten and eight. 
Didn't I just say in last podcast that they got an outside shot at being a four, four seed? Yeah, he did. Uh, and I said, I think you already had him in as a three or four, I think. I don't know. But uh, they didn't look anything like a three or four at Waco. But they took care of business Tuesday night, Oklahoma. A gritty game, like you said. And you wrote a very nice column about how they got out toughed in Waco and all the players admitted it. They, they were soft and uh, they weren't soft at Oklahoma. That was a darn entertaining college game. And, you know, Timmy Allen and Andrew Jones kind of came to the rescue. It they was did. Very, very entertaining. And they showed some toughness, did they not? Christian Bishop playing better and better and making the free throws. So what a great dunk. What a great dunk by him in crunch time. That yeah. backwards dunk was that was amazing. What a oh, great dunk! Timmy Allen getting a couple key putbacks and scoring big in overtime at a twenty point game. Uh, Those are effort plays by Timmy Allen. Those yeah. were want to plays where you where where you know you just wanted to you, you wanted it more than the next guy, and you went you crashed those boards and you you went and got it. They they're gonna need that because they don't have the they don't have that superstar presence. Where you go, okay, Obaji, go get me a bucket. But Timmy Allen is is slowly developing into their go to guy. As Marcus Carr has had his ups and downs lately at point. He did, he did. He had sixteen in, in Oklahoma, and uh, you know, six of ten free throw. You you like your point guard to shoot more than sixty percent at the line, but uh, he he kind of floats in and out. You know, you know, there be times when I go, where the hell's Marcus Carr been? You know, and then they'll go on a little run, and, and he'll be a pivotal factor in that. So they do lose Trey Metcalf for uh, undefined time uh, on a personal matter. Went home. Trey Pittsburgh. Mitchell. Trey Mitchell, not Metcalf. Mitchell. I'm sorry, Trey. That's okay. And our, you know, our our thoughts go out to him and uh, his personal issues that he's dealing with. We wish him well and uh, hope. Uh, they can get uh, a good resolution out of that, but and they'll miss him as a player, obviously, because uh, he was coming into his own too. So, uh, but a lot on the table, a lot on the table. Well, you're sitting there in fourth with a chance to move to third, and you still play Baylor in Kansas. If you look at their schedule, said they're home against uh, Tech and TCU the next two games. Then they go to West Virginia, which is at the bottom of the league, three and nine. They really miss Oscar Chwebe who's at Kentucky now tearing it up uh, and they just can't get, get right. And then after those three games, they close with home against Bader last game at the Irwin center and go to Kansas. So, but if you can take care of business and win these next three, you know, that puts you at 11 wins. You know? Right where I had them dog, right where no, I had them. We need to check the video. on that. <laughs> but, but, you know, if they go 11 and seven, they could get to, you know, probably a four seed. I don't know if they're a three seed. They're just not as consistent. They don't they don't pass the eyeball test as a top three seed, do they, Said No, they don't. They don't. They don't have star power. They, they're a good team. They're a good collection. I'm I'm still waiting on him to 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 shorten that rotation. A lot of extended minutes for Devin Askew last night. I, I thought he yeah. played more than I was used to seeing, yeah. and yeah. Uh, you know he, he he does a good job of setting the table. Just not a just not a scoring threat, and that was probably partially due to Carr's struggles. So I think Carr's going to find it from somewhere. Courtney Ramey uh, was in foul trouble. He didn't give him a whole lot offensively, right. Right. and uh, Andrew Jones did come to the rescue. Well, he can 
He he can score so fast. You look up and he's got seven or eight quick points. He's very streaky like that, and they're going to need that moving forward from Andrew. Yeah, inconsistent scoring is a problem, and their guard play can be kind of erratic at times, like we mentioned. But uh, you mentioned Askew. He, he did give him good minutes and uh, had a great bounce pass to Christian Bishop on a reverse dunk there. With, that was beautiful. Put him ahead by six under three minutes and kind of helped him keep that momentum and sustain that. So they swept Oklahoma first time in uh, four years. They've uh, beaten Oklahoma in a way. So uh, it's, things are looking up for the, for the basketball team. The women's basketball team, we're supposed to play Wednesday night. We're taping it's Wednesday afternoon. So uh, they're, they're kind of got it back together a little bit. Uh, Need Rory Harmon to show up. The fresh, she's yeah. in that freshman wall. And, um, yes, we need her to show up. Jay Holly's, you improved. Matharu, you know, they got some pieces there and they got some momentum now. So uh, I need to see, I need to see Vig be more, more consistent with his substitutions because Matharu, she's their leading scorer and then she doesn't play. So you always, you, you wonder. She's foul prone. They, they shot her a whole quarter against, uh, I guess that was a game in Waco, I guess it was. She sat mm-hmm. for a whole quarter. I didn't understand that at all. What do you make of Vic once again getting into it with Texas Tech coaches? I mean, Vic, I mean, when you have players dragging you away from a confrontation, I think you might need to take a little look in the mirror. I know you're very protective of your team, Vic, but uh, you got the win in Lubbock. Get the hell out of there. Get on the bus. Get on the plane. Get back to the house. Savor the win, but 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 the you know the barking at other coaches and getting into it on, on television, that's not a good look. And I know he's fiercely competitive, Doug. And he doesn't turn off that faucet, but he's got he's gonna have to take a look at that because that 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 can become a distraction on a on a team that doesn't really need any distractions. And and he and Chris Beard, they're both wired very tight, very intense. We saw Chris Beard, you know, approach a fan who was heckling him as they left the left the arena there on Tuesday night. You can't have that. Unless yeah. the fan slurs you or says something off color. He said, Chris Beard, you're a traitor. It was very it was audible. That's yeah. whatever. Whatever. Yeah. That's that's not enough for you to so go. Why, why do you yeah, why do you care some knucklehead? You know, in the stands, yell something. I mean, they get yelled at all the time. I understand that. It's not a fun thing to have to put up with. But, you know, when you're walking to the locker room and you come back out on the floor and, you know, approach the guy, you're right. The optics are not very good. And, and you know, your, your coach is preaching poise and composure to your team. And they want to see you see the same, same uh, qualities. Well, Doug, I know we could talk all day long sports, uh, but but that's why we do a weekly podcast. So we can always come back next week, the let's good Lord that. willing. I say let's just put it on the calendar and, and do another one next week. We've done 250. We'll be back for 251 next week. We, we got to thank David Pierce, the Texas baseball coach, for joining us. For the Duck Kirk Bowls, I'm Seth Golden, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to One Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Seth and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play. <laughs>